The following episode of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast is brought to you by Prowlers and Paragons by Lakeside Games. Look over on Drive Through RPG. Is it a narrative hippie superhero game? No. Is it a cumbersome mechanics heavy superhero game? Hell no. It's Prowlers and Paragons, and it's available now in print on demand from Drive Through RPG. Published by Lakeside Games and illustrated by comic book artist Jerry Gaylord, Prowlers and Paragons is a superhero RPG designed to be as fun as the comic books that inspired it. PNP blends the modern ideas of narrative control and collaborative storytelling with the crunchier combat system to create a unique RPG experience. As fast and freewheeling as any indie, but with just enough crunch to make your super-powered slugfest dynamic and memorable. You can find PNP in both PDF and and print-on-demand formats on DriveThruRPG. Prowlers and Paragons, the world needs heroes. Take a stand. Join the fight. Be a hero. The following podcast may be explicit. Flying towards a setting sun in a Honda Accord of gold. The AC stringing against the funk because our socks and drawers are old. On the 105 for an afternoon drive, whizzing by the freeway flora. In the passenger seat is my best friend Pete, a fat man in a fedora. Breaker 1-9, this is Drekdar the Dark. I was momentarily detained in the hotel entrance, fat beard. The valet was trying to charge me an exorbitant fee. It appears we have ourselves a game con. Yeah, we got ourselves a game con. Thank you for joining us for Season 12, Episode 3 of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Gina. This is Stork. And I'm Kimmy. Hey, a salute to Convoy, right? C.W. McCall. Yeah. If I recall correctly, he wasn't actually like a full-on trucker. I think he was like a marketing guy, an advertising guy. Yeah, he was like an ad guy. And he like like little ditties, and then this whole Convoy thing took off, and so he... He just he, and if you ever listen to the album, as my brother had it, it was hysterical. Yeah, he's very funny. <laughs> he's a very funny guy. Um, it, a lot of the songs are like these stupid little yarns. They are. They're they're like stories set to music. Me and Floyd were out on the four hundred three. That was awesome. Sam Bowen of Ventura, but we knew it as the Green. <laughs> uh, I'd like to uh, again thank Lakeside Games, uh, one of our longtime listeners, Len from Miami. Uh, sponsored the show to promote Prowlers and Paragons, which is his superhero RPG, and it's available at DriveThruRPG, and there'll be a link in the show notes so you can get to it. Um, I love superhero games. Some of the best memories I have of gaming is in the in high school was superhero games. It was just, mm-hmm. ah, champions and villains and vigilantes, and ah, we had so much fun just knocking people through walls, and it was a blast. Uh, yes, I agree. So, thank you for sponsoring the show. And if uh, anyone else out there wants to sponsor the show, uh, you can do that too. And just email me and tell me you want to sponsor the show. It's very easy. <laughs> All right. Uh, last weekend of the Renaissance Pleasure Fair. And yep. Then, and then Teardown. Yeah. <clears throat> and yes. Then, and that's it. 
And I'd like to say, though, thanks to all of the listeners who have come out to FAIR, because I've met a bunch of you guys, mm-hmm. and thank you for introducing yourselves and reminding us of your names and everything. In fact, I signed a traveler book, and I don't remember his name right now. <laughs> I think Kinney was there. She signed it, too. It was, it was really, really awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I was actually on stage and like looked out across the crowd, and then there's like a traveler book sitting there. I'm like, <laughs> oh. So I had to sit there through the whole show, like doing the thing, and then like thinking, there's a traveler. Why is there a traveler? Is there a traveler? <laughs> <laughs> Sitting right there on the hay bale. <laughs> Who would do awesome. such a thing? <laughs> it's very it was, cool. It was very awesome. I mean, I feel really honored. I have nothing to do with traveler other than the fact that I like the system and you know, we have us sign it. I thought it was really cool. Right. So, uh, yeah, if this is your last chance to come out and see us. We'll even sign your traveler books or yeah. Savage Worlds books. <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be one of those episodes. Yeah, That's here. twice on the golf button. Very yeah. lungy. I'm, I'm there's there's youngie and burpee. There's fires and the <laughs> Santa Anas are kicking up and it's I mean it's just bad out there. I mean my allergies have been kicking me in the fanny the last couple of days. And my stomach is doing that thing it does. Ugh. Yeah. There's gonna be some burping in the mic, sorry. <laughs> and thank you for the those of you who are in the chat room and welcome and uh I hope you enjoy the show. Oh Sock Puppet Troll is back, my favorite. Yay! And uh I, I have activated the. Um, I remembered to activate the Q and A plugin. Cool. So if you have something you would like to uh, say or add or um, ask mm-hmm. during the course of the show, I will be dutifully reminded by my co-host to check this. Absolutely. And I'm going to go right into the first email. <clears throat> and this 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 was a, an email that brings up a topic that I don't think we've talked about. Oh, we, we have one more thing to plug. Oh, you want to plug it now? I was going to plug it later. Oh. After the first, you can do it now. Go okay. ahead. Uh, we just started an Instagram like three minutes ago. It's oh, very right. exciting. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Come follow us on Instagram at Happy Jacks RPG. Oh, nice picture. And then, um, yeah. And we're also on Twitter, etc., etc., Facebooks. You can take a picture things. of that, too. It says Happy Jacks on it right there. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. So, all the pictures of things in the booth right now are going to happen during this podcast. It's there very exciting. <laughs> You're right. Good. Instagram. So, that makes us hipsters, doesn't it? We actually need to have an Instamatic to be a hipster, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and we would have had to be like, we've been on Instagram yeah. for like a year and a half You know what, now. though? Polaroids are really coming back into vogue. I think <laughs> I think hipsters are using Polaroids. I know, I know how to make us not hipsters. Oh, uh, yeah. How? We've started an account on the Instagram. Ah. <laughs> now we just sound like old people. We made a movie on the Vine. <laughs> right. On the Vine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Email from Mike in PA. PA. Yeah. Hey, guys. And sometimes ladies. Two ladies this time. Yeah. Unprecedented. I have a topic for you. The necessity of an XP and or leveling system mechanics in an RPG. This email was spurred by a short text conversation I had with friends. Not in quotes. Yes. Two of my friends... (laughs) <laughs> professed a, not in quotes. <laughs> professed a dis- like the suspicion in your voice when you say friends. Yes. My friends. friends. I'm just trying to sow discontent. Right. Uh, oh, two of my friends uh, professed a dislike for Mongoose Traveler and other RPGs that lack the game mechanic of leveling and gathering of experience as a reward for participation. Their favorite system is D&D 3.5. One of them has attempted trying to adapt Mongoose Traveler into a leveling system where you could gain skills and, char- and character terms as you play. I feel he failed 
in his endeavor with an overpowered, shoehorned-in skill-gaining mechanic. It was that, or starting off with six-plus terms if I wanted to play with my friends. With my friends. Anyway, another friend who is into grokking a system to power game a bit likes vanilla Magic the Gather. MGT, I keep seeing MTG. I know. Mongoose Traveler. That's your listexia. I know. And felt that the accumulation of wealth was a good enough reward. I love Mongoose Traveler the way it is written as well. However, I feel that a good story will reward a group of characters who work well together and complete missions. Obviously, none of us are wrong, but is a leveling and experience-based point system necessary to make a decent game? Why would XP tickle others' fancies while some of us can operate in a game with in-game wealth or neither XP or wealth or wealth? I'll keep going. Yeah. I was going to read it again, but I don't think that'll help. Could the could the receiving of XP be compared to a gambler's buzz on winning at a slot machine? Oh. Finally, is there a method or a system that, in your opinion, manage, manages to exclude a leveling mechanic but still rewards players for participation? And how does it achieve this? Kind of disregards you drunken skunks, Mike, in PA. And that's what I kind of want to talk about because we've never really talked about it. Very interesting systems. topic. Uh, yeah. And what yeah. you, what you like about them? Why you like them? Why or why you think you like them? And what sort of systems do you like? And I mean, I, I'll I'll kind of go last because I have I do don't have a real strong opinion on this because I don't play very much. And as a GM, I mean, I, I probably have a preference. But where where are you, Gina? On I I like. Uh, leveling and advancing. I think, uh, you know, part of the fun of playing is constructing and putting together your character and then integrating what the psychology of that character is and who they are with the mechanical parts of who they are. And then being able to level is sort of like that little prize you get, Mm -hmm. you know, every so often where you get to enhance that. So it's either something where you'd like to see the character go, so you're going to start, you know, integrating that into the story, or it's something you have been working on, so it's like it's a natural extension of the character. So I, I don't know, it's like Chinese boxes of opening up additional little prizes inside. It's like the price is right. Yeah. So you you like leveling systems where you get new stuff, like, oh, when I get to level five, I get a new power, or... Yeah, although I, I, ten, <clears throat> I think I prefer point-by stu- point stuff. Oh, you do? Because it's uh, there's a more broad uh, basis for what you can pick, versus, like, um, something where, you know, like in D&D or Pathfinder, it's a little... I mean, there's still a lot of choice, I guess. Um, but it seems like, you know, level four, you get a feat and you get this and you raise an ability score. And, right. Um, but I like the, I think if I had to pick one, it, it'd be something like GURPS, where you get to point by. You so have I a can, lot of control yeah, over what yeah. you're doing. I can buy something for two points right now, or I can save up and have 20 points and raise my decks or, yeah. Okay. So I think I like that. All right. And I do like the now advancing. Now, what, what, what do you think about systems that ha- that lack... Uh, an advancement mechanic. I, you know, I was, I was trying. Well, have you really, played any? Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. But all I could think of, and I'm probably absolutely lacking in, in thinking of 
others were a lot of like Stark and I played Lady Blackbird, and I yeah. don't think that has any sort of advancement mechanic or things like Fiasco or Shabel Harry Roach or a lot of the really you know the story games. Although aren't most of those sort of like a single session or a single story arc yeah. games? Yeah, the ones I'm thinking of, definitely. Well, and Traveler's kind of unique in the world in that you kind of come out of it an older person ready to go. Right. Uh, I, I'm of two minds about this topic, to be uh, to be honest. I Mongoose Traveler kind of stands alone in its way because you come out as a 40-year-old veteran of something and you have all the skills. And to be fair, you can learn more skills. You just have to take the time to do it. Right? And people usually do that in jump space. They'll, they'll learn skill. But but by not having levels and experience, you redu- you get rid of power creep, which I like because you no longer mm-hmm. are are chasing uh, the epic levels and the tier level tiers in order to, to you know you're no longer it's a, it's a whole different style of play. You're freed from that whole having to level up to take on the boss kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. However, I also like to start at level one, being a noob, barely able to use my sword, and as I get as I gain skills, getting better and better at my skills, I'm getting better and better at my sword use. So I, I get it. I get why levels and stuff can be really important to a lot of people, especially if you want to take your character on a journey. Like, for for example, our L5R game, where we all start out as level one samurai, barely know our, our ass from our, our katana, and as the game progresses, we get better and better, better at what we do, or at least right. get better, more and more in skills. So, But maybe that's unique to me, because I'd like to incorporate my skill growth into my character rather than just oh I finally have 20 points to get that bitchin skill I've always wanted that has nothing to do with my character but yeah. is is rule breaky right know? yeah I think that's a really important point the difference between people who build levels as part of their character and build levels as simple mechanics mm-hmm. because I think that games that don't necessarily have a leveling mechanic can be a great way for people to then focus on the character development and the character growth and leveling up the personality, if you will, rather than focusing on simply, okay, which one of the skills will make me more uber and more breaky for for the mechanics. Yeah. So I think a lot of it depends just on how people view it in general. I've played enough MMOs yeah. <laughs> where leveling up to get the next set of powers and be able to use the new item that you have, or it's the items sitting in your mount. inventory, yeah, or to get the mount or whatever, <laughs> that... I don't need to do that in my RPGs anymore. You know, if I want to do that, I can play WoW. I can play EverQuest. <clears throat> but you you do bring up an interesting point about what systems are there out there that, that don't have a leveling attached to them. I mean, Traveler is kind of the only one. Um, Fate, maybe. Although you can mm-hmm. get better at stuff. I, I, I was thinking L5R, but... It's just oh, that L five R definitely has a level. It's a leveling, yeah. but yeah. it's slower. It's a slower pace leveling. Well, it, it takes some. a million years to get to the second level, whatever it's called. Sure uh, does. The insight mm-hmm. rank. You're, yeah, you're like insight rank one for your entire life, and then as you <laughs> retire, you get to insight rank two, and then insight rank three is just a, a few sessions away. Oh yeah. Once you hit two, yeah, it goes very quickly. Okay. But getting to insight rank two takes freaking forever. Sure does. Yeah. <clears throat> now. We're, were you thinking about having a leveling mechanic in Moment of Truth? There is one. There is. It was incorporated in the most recent version. Okay. I think. I think I put it in <laughs> okay. before I sent it out. Yeah, there Maybe. is There is one. Cool. Um, we'll see how it works. I mean, yeah. I, I put it in because I couldn't think of a system that didn't have one. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I, honestly, I figured Traveler probably did. 
I just never read that part of the book. I very <laughs> rarely concern myself with character leveling. Mm-hmm. I don't care, for the most part, because I'm almost always running games, and it doesn't matter. The only time, a le- to me, the only time a leveling system is even relevant or within my radar is when it's problematic for game prep for me. Mm-hmm. And that is like playing when we had the 4th edition D&D game, and I imagine Pathfinder, it's probably pretty similar too, where your your character's levels, all of the math changes as you level up significantly, and if the encounters that you're fighting don't level up as well, they become suddenly very boring and very tedious. And 4E to me is the example of leveling gone awry. I mean, they actually not only do you level, but then you hit tiers where you get completely new yeah. powers all of a sudden, and you can't even use your old ones, or you can... But you're not going to be very well, useful they become, anymore. They become irrelevant. They do. It's or, like, well, the amount of damage that you did with this thing that you had at level 5, now that you're level 10, you're never going to use that because you've got something that's close to it or equivalent to it that instead of do, instead of doing 3d6, now does 3d10. Right, so the character you set out with is not the character you get after like level 10 or level 15 right. or something. Yeah. Which is unlike L5R where you can slowly add in and build on and, oh, my character does a lot of bow work, I think I'll put some points in bow yeah, and all L5R that. L5R kind of has... It kind of has two different leveling systems because there is a, almost like a point by leveling. Mm-hmm. That's what I, it As seemed you, like. When yeah, you, guys you, would you play. put points into skills, but what you do, it has this weird thing where you add up. There's a formula you take all of your rings, which are your attributes, and all of your skill levels, and you add, you multiply them by this and that, and add them all together, and you get a number. And when that number reaches a certain point, you're insight rank two. Okay. Once you hit insight rank two. All kinds of new shit happens to you. There's sudden. There's new spells if you're a Shugenja that you can get. Um, there's all kinds of like uh, uh, new. Uh, not called feats. Have another name for it. But there's new techniques and stuff like that that you're now the, the, you now qualify for. Qualify for. But in you your don't school. have to take them, and it doesn't absolutely er- eradicate everything you did before. No, no. Yeah. It just adds on to. It just, yeah, it just adds on. But it's almost like there's two things. There's like a leveling thing and a point by thing. Yeah. So there's, it, it almost scratches the itch from whatever angle you look at the character advancement or so whatever you like. There's about a piece of it that tweaks the character mm-hmm. as you grow and play, but there's a slow burn piece. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, n- now, what about see, see, Traveler, when you think about it, the leveling mechanic in Traveler is wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you start out, you maybe own a few ship shares. Maybe some of the other players do. Maybe amongst all of you, you might own 10% of your ship. The rest is owned by the bank. And you're basically struggling for fuel, trying to go from place to place. Assuming you're playing like a merchant game. Yeah. yeah. Going from place to place, trying to to gain enough profit so that you can buy better stuff for your ship. Make your payments on your ship so you get to keep it. Buy better equipment. Maybe buy some body armor. And all, and there's, But it all comes down to money. And isn't that enough carrot and stick for some people? I mean, I think what well, I because getting more stuff is always. I remember as a kid, that was the cool thing. You open up the treasure chest, it's like, what do we get? And everybody starts rubbing their hands. I want together, a sword, right? And they start writing out how many gems they got. I mean, that's that's a reward in and of itself. And then money equals skills as well when you're with traveler because you can buy skills and buy the requisite you, armor. And, do you think if you could think of? Because it doesn't seem like we can think of a system that you play more, besides Traveler, um, that doesn't incentivize with point buy or leveling. Uh, Do you think that 
besides potentially looking for something that's breaky or making you uber, um, that it also kind of inspires you to take characters in a different direction and that if you didn't have that incentive or that ability to think about those things that it would flatline your character potentially or does it depend on the player if you had if you had some other kind of character advancement yeah or no character advancement like it's the wealth piece and i mean wealth can change a character sure also i mean see that that, that's kind of the I, i remember when we played the the fantasy hero game um and this this again gets gets back to me and role playing versus mechanics kind of thing. Um, in game, I kind of fostered a relationship with a mage. Remember that guy I kept hiring? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a we, we didn't have a mage in our party, so and none of us knew anything about magic. So we kind of we went out and hired this mage who was like kind of like a low level guy at the mage college. To help us with stuff. And kind of overpaid him a little bit. And would always go back and ask for him so it looked good to his superiors and all that. I was kind of trying to foster this relationship so I could kind of build up some kind of an ally. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I got... I don't remember which... It was either Casey or Bruce said, well, if you want him as an ally, you really have to pay... Contact. Points and have him as a contact. Yeah. And it's like, well, I guess. I mean... But in game, isn't that kind of what part of the, the whole thing of a role playing game right. is? That you're building a character and growing a character, and you're meeting people and developing relationships. Do you really need to involve? Do you really have to pay character points to yeah. have? Do you suddenly have, instead of a quality now, it's a quantity? So do you have to quantify it? Right. It, we've and it lo- did. It became a quantifiable thing where it's like, okay, since I, I didn't have a lot of character points to spend on it. He could help us on like an eight or less on three D six, which is like thirty five, forty percent of the time. Yeah. Maybe I don't think it was even that high, and it was like oh, it was okay. But I mean, I mean, I could see the point of things like that because at the table you're going to have people who, out of character, are better at talking, mm-hmm. are better at different types of things. So the mechanic, like we've talked about in numerous other episodes, is there to make it fair mechanically. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, make it so, you know, Stork's, you know, great at talking to people. And if he's sitting there with, you know, someone who's not great at talking to people, both characters, it's based on the characters, not the player's ability and personality. Um, so I can see the the importance of things like that. But I don't know. I feel, I, I mean, kind of getting back to the whole leveling thing, I'm wondering almost, because I really love convention games specifically. I mean, yeah. I love campaigns. But convention games have a little bit of a... You can do whatever you want with them. They're mm-hmm. like one-shot right. wonders. I'm wondering if that's part of the draw. Because in a convention game, unless you're doing like Pathfinder Society or something, you're not worried about leveling. You're not worried... That's a very good point. You're not necessarily worried yep. about, hey, what's our loot at the end going to be? Yep. So that, actually, that actually leads me to a point I was going to say. Gina yeah. was talking about, does, does leveling affect your gameplay? Does it affect the way you play a character? Uh, at one of the cons, I was playing AD&D. Mm-hmm. It was... It was uh, I forgot who was running it. Oh, it might have been it might have been Gary um, Gygax. No, <laughs> it was Gary. But it's uh, the, guy that, the guy that runs tunes all the time. I'll, I'll come up with him in a minute. But um, Gary Mack. It was Gary Mack. Okay. And I was playing, and I and I managed to like crit. I know me a a, a major orc or null or something. And we're all level one characters. And I stopped. and I said, "Now wait a minute. 
How much XP did I get? Because that might genuinely affect... <laughs> might level my, right there. My, I might level right there, and that might affect... They all went, oh, ah, ooh, ah, and it literally... We stopped the game, and we had to kind of dole out some XP just to make sure I didn't level right then and there. And it did affect the gameplay. <laughs> because the game is built around that mechanic. And sure. I literally said, if I leveled up from here, I get no, more spells. I think I was a... Magic user? I don't remember what I was. But, I mean... It, it did affect my gameplay. It, it affected it to the point where I was already... I wasn't min-maxing or anything, but I was thinking... Because that's the game is built around leveling. Right. I was thinking about, well, if I can get this next power, then uh, you know, and I'll get more hit points, maybe I'll be more effective. Yeah, I think that that kind of thing, yeah. especially with profound leveling, really does affect the way you problem-solve and the way you look at a game and the way you play a game. Yeah. If you don't... Like in a con, if you don't have to worry about leveling, you're just free to do whatever you feel like. That's mm-hmm. true. Sure. I think, I mean... And I know I've done it before where I've taken, I've, I've come up with character things when I want certain things or when I know certain things will be more effective when I'm leveling. For example, I'm like, oh, okay, we need more range attacks. Hey, I'm going to practice archery. And while it does make sense, yeah. like I've never been the player to take something completely out of yeah. my character. Like there's things that I will drift towards with my character because I know mechanically they will be advant- advantageous. So I definitely think there is... Uh, persuasion there when you're looking yeah. to, to change things, even if you are like looking at it from a very character-driven standpoint, where I think you have a lot of freedom and a lot of possibilities when you're not necessarily given that option. It's the Schrodinger's cat thing, you know. The fact <laughs> the fact that you know that you have levels involved affects right. the way you play the, the game. Play. It affects yeah. the way it affects the decisions you make and affects the way you you jump into uh, situations and solves. If you're not worried about leveling, like especially in Traveler, where even if you don't have that skill, you can still use it or try to use it. Try right? at not too big of a minus. So. Mm-hmm. In many ways, it's very freeing that way. But people, I get it. People don't see it. They're like, "Well, where's my reward for being really bitching? Mm-hmm. I just, I just saved this whole world. What do I get? Money? That's you know, I, I get it. I, I see. So we're so conditioned to getting points so that we can prove our character that it's but, hard to not think in those terms. Yeah, it's like the RPG token economy. It yeah. is. <laughs> it is. It's like Bitcoin. Here, here's your sticker for going potty. Yep. Here's you your gold XP star. for finishing. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Totally. I think you're right. Well, and I'm I'm such a like ridiculous gamer. Like I have apps that have you know achievements, and I'm like really excited when I get my <laughs> stupid achievement for whatever I'm doing on my stupid app. And oh yeah, I have a to do list yeah, that does that. It's totally yeah. motivational. Yeah. and so I can tot- I mean, I'm totally the person who who loves leveling and loves yeah. the achievements in doing that. But I also house dusting unlocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds dumb, but it's really motivation. <laughs> I played WoW for way too long. Like yeah. The little like badges you get, holy crap! That's those what I'm awesome. It is really, literally, like my potty sticky chart. And really, what it boils down to, that's really what it is. Here's your reward for, the for doing the dishes. Here's your XP. And I know my my app has an ASCII cat that I get to feed, and I get really excited. <laughs> It's yeah, the, yeah, we're the Tamagotchi generation. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, but brings us back to I mean, other than Mongoose Traveler, can we? Can any of us think of a game that uh-uh. that doesn't really? Involve? I'm sure there are some out there. Uh, yeah. I could think of, especially like, some small indie ones where they don't even worry about them. Right. That's what. That's the only ones I could think of. But to Stork's point, which was super valid, that I can't picture. I mean, you could play 
multiple games of Lady Blackbird. It yeah, wouldn't but it's have really to designed be to be just a one shot. I mean, yeah. it's pretty much designed for a the really one scenario. short yeah. story arc. Well, I mean, get, getting back to his original yeah. example, Traveler. I played a lot of Traveler campaigns. Mm-hmm. We had a blast playing Traveler campaigns. Yeah. This is back in an era when there weren't a lot of role playing games, and at the time we'd only played one other role playing game, which was D and D. Uh huh. So the fact that it didn't have an advancement system, never even noticed, right? Yeah, I have to admit, like when we were playing our Traveler game, I'm not sure I ever noticed that it wasn't a leveling system. Well, I, but also the fact that you could try anything. I, unlike D and D, where if you're a magic user, you can't actually use a bow. I'm pick up the bow. Well, you try to use it and can't. You drop it. You drop it, right? <laughs> and Angus Everett, sure, give it a whirl. You know, you've never used a bow before in your life. Go ahead and try. Yeah, so well, it's not like you're actually now. I can see where you can run into problems anything. where mm-hmm. it's like you know, uh, no, I've I was able to get this really cool. I don't know, like a. a really high-powered energy weapon, like an FGMP-15 or something like that. Like, really uh, go uh, get them, thing, uh. right? But I don't have gun skill. Right. <laughs> or uh, it may not even be gun skill. It may be its own special skill. Shooting. But if I get that weapon, which is almost impossible to get because it's military only, and if you got it, it's because you probably killed a space marine or you found <laughs> one dead that no one looted. Okay. And so if you got that thing, there's no way you're not going to learn how to fire it. So... I, in a situation like that, I imagine that the GM is going to have to house rule some way for you to earn that skill over time. Traveler has a method for you for learning skills, it, but it takes time, and usually people do it in jump space, which in a, in a way, figures, well, let's hear how people are like, all right, so how many weeks in jump space were we? Oh, we were six six months? Well, that, see, oh, that yeah, I just learned adv- shooting, and I just learned... That is a character advancement system, then. It is. Well, then it has one. Sort of. What are we even talking about? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you, do you have a preference? Not really. Yeah. If, if it's, it's kind of six at one. The, the G- GURPS for an advancement system was probably the, the, the one that bothered me the least, except for mages. Mm. Because for everything else, your skill level just goes up a little, right? Yeah. Uh, people almost never bought new advantages because they're expensive. And the old rules, it used to be you had to pay twice whatever the base value is. After character gen, oh, okay. attributes and advantages doubled in cost. So if you want to buy it at a certain level, you get it okay. in character gen. And then changing it after that is like a freaking act of God because it's really expensive. I mean, you want to raise a attribute, you can spend 20 or 30 character points yeah. to do it. It's a lot of so you, that n- never happened. But people would raise their skill levels, but it ha- would happen gradually. And, it, and I mean, as the skill level goes up, yeah, they hit more often. Uh, and it, that's easy to compensate for with the bad guys to just bump their skill level up a little bit. We're not even really worried well, and about it's it. an organic yeah. development, too. The and, and more the, they shoot a gun, the better they get at it. And the it. combat system in GURPS is fairly equalizing anyway, because even if, you, if it's a, a, a low-skilled person versus a high-skilled person, they're both wielding enough potential damage to kill each other. And the guy who has a low skill level, he can get a lucky hit. Sure can. And fuck up your day. With just as much rifle. as you can. Fu- there you go. For the win. I mean, and, and there's and there's all kind. the system is flexible enough where there's all kinds of ways that you can pile on different kinds of advantages 
where I'm gonna, I'm, not, I'm just gonna wait till the guy's asleep and shoot him in the head. <laughs> I was playing, I was playing. I in don't a, care what level your sword skill is. <laughs> I was playing in Mook's game, and I actually aimed, I think, for two rounds, bringing my with a bow, oh. and I was okay with a bow. I was pretty good with a bow, but I took two rounds to aim and got a crit in the eyeball. Yeah, there you, you know? go. And pretty much, you know, all the damage ever to the eye took yeah. the guy right out. In one yeah, shot. I think when you hit in the eye socket, it's like four times damage. <laughs> it was it's to the head. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, so so. Having character character advancement was is never problematic as a GM in that, except for for um, for mages, because the way at least my group and probably most groups build mages is instead of putting a bunch of points in a few spells, you put one point in a bunch of spells. Right, because the more spells you have, the more flexible you are, the more useful you're going to be a, as a mage. Right? There's because there's a lot of combat spells, but there's a lot of spells that aren't combat that are still really goddamn handy when you're adventuring. So you put one point in all of them, knowing full well yeah. you could, that you're going to level up and add well, points. Well, if your to, majory to, level is, if your majory level is yeah. high enough, it yeah. might be a fifteen or a sixteen. Yeah. With one point. Yeah. And to raise it up the next level, say, oh, I use this skill a lot. It's very handy. I want to raise it up. It's one point to move it up an- another level. That's true. Go from one point to two to four, right? Right. So you can sit there and kind of tweak your character as the adventures go on and you realize what are the useful spells and what aren't. And so I, I have found that mages tend to change a lot with very few character points. Because suddenly once you start getting your your spell levels to certain level, certain certain heights... Now suddenly you don't need as much time to cast, or it costs less to cast. And then you got guys who are like, "I get to cast this spell without a, a, a second of concentration." Suddenly, yeah, then it, then it becomes, as a GM, a very very challenging to challenge the the mages. But regular characters, I can say that. Anything in the chat room on this topic? Uh, no, I was trying to no. watch. They didn't have. Uh... They're not listening to us. <laughs> no, they said, uh, they recapped for someone and they said they talked about RPGs and then they talked about R- RPGs again. I'm hoping later they'll talk about RPGs. <laughs> that was the recap. But I didn't see anything. I was kind of keeping an eye open for somebody who was, uh, as usual, way smarter than us. But uh, I didn't see anything about a system besides Traveler. All right. Yeah. Let's go on to the next email next from hour eleven. Stu and Company. I'm writing a response to a topic that came up on uh, in the All Ladies oh, episode yeah. from a few months back. I'm a bit behind, but catching up. Oh, rapidly. Let's yes. Hold on. Yes. Uh, a couple things to plug. Okay. Yes. The Merry Wives of Windsor are going to be doing a tour. Woohoo! When is this tour? Oh yeah. This summer. This and, summer. Yeah, later, like in August. In August, and yeah. you're, you're you have of a- August end of July. And, and you're trying to fly your, the entire band out to the Bristol Renaissance Fair. Yes. In Wisconsin. And that's ten people. Ten people. That you're trying to fly out there. And yes. that's a lot of people to buy tickets for. So it is. So you're trying to raise money. Yeah, we're actually doing two parts of the tour. We're actually we're going up to Washington Fair in Washington. And um, that'll be a combination of us driving, camping, ho- cheap hoteling it. Um, and then possibly a few of us having to fly due to work and not being able to drive. And then we're also going to kind of continue that and then head out to the Bristol Fair. And we're doing some local shows for both of those those things. We're hopefully going to do some shows up the coast as we go, too. So we might come to your area. So 
And we have a lot of listeners cool. in the Midwest, and many of them probably go to the Bristol Renaissance Fair. Yeah. So, uh, if you would like to help them out in the in their effort to fly out there, because it is expensive, yes. um, you can go to mwow.net/slash tour fund. T O U R F U N D. It's in the show notes. Yep. Uh, and you can donate for their thing yeah. for that. Yeah. It's cool. very exciting. We've we've started raising pretty we have some really great people who are supporting us and we've it's only been up for 2 days now really and we're getting there. Come cool. help us. Help us help us get to Bristol. Help us cool. get to you. Do they get anything for helping you get there? There are there are There's incentives. Some rewards, yeah. There's um t- like your name on our t-shirt if you're like super giving and CDs and pins and a bunch of different cool things you can get. Sweet. <laughs> I might just donate. Yay. All right. There you go. Where was I? The All Ladies episode from a few oh, months back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a bit behind me catching up rapidly. They talked about topics that can arise at a table and in a story that can cause discomfort or worse. And mentioning how sometimes these difficult topics have legitimate places in drama, the fiasco-style game Annalise has a pre-game rule uh, system designed to prevent situations like these. I found it, it's, I found it to be quite brilliant, as in the game... For the very mature RPers. Uh, before the game starts, you anonymously gather a list of, quote, lines, end quote, lines that won't be crossed. These are topics that will not be in the game under any circumstances. These are triggers and general discomforts. For example, if I am wrestling with the grief of a loved one dying from cancer, I may not want cancer in the game, despite its role as a legitimate dramatic device. After lines, you gather a list of veils. For, from your characters. These are topics that could be in the story but uh, but should never be role-played or seen on camera, as it were. For example, child abuse could be a veil, meaning a character who is dealing with suffering effects uh, or it can be in a story, but under no circumstances should any children be abused in the current moment of the story. By establishing these two sets of boundaries, you can have very personal games. I find this essential in some Worlds of Darkness games, which beg to challenge limits. Mm -hmm. Without the risks of invading space, uh, one of your players might not be okay with. You can probably tell what games need to be set up like this, but I've taken to doing it almost every game I run, unless I've run these for specific players recently, or the game is uh, pure beer and pretzels. Uh, also, if you want something more complex, more serious, and much harder in many ways than Fiasco, check out Annalise. Or Annalisa? Is that my saying it right? Annalise. Probably Annalise. Annalise. <clears throat> For the sake of brevity and the fact that... Oh, did you want to pause? you want to talk about that? Uh, you, know, you can continue okay. and then we can talk about it. For the sake of brevity and the fact that it has nothing to do with the initial topic, feel free to drop this next paragraph, which describes very loosely what Annalise is. Fiasco rules are designed to lead players in a downward spiral of chaos and inevitable tragic ending. And Lisa's rules are similar but geared towards a different type of play. Everyone's character is affected by a vampire. Afflicted. I'm sorry, (laughs) afflicted by a vampire, but not a literal vampire. Instead, the vampire refers to that which consumes. This vampire, which could be a disease, an emotion like jealousy, an abusive person, a supernatural force, mental illness, or anything else you can think of that consumes... The vampire is discovered through play. It isn't chosen, it happens. Each player's story may also be separate and unrelated, although they will share a vampire. But the system allows players to claim ownership over literary objects and concepts mentioned by others in your story. Uh, In your story, you mention the moon, and I spend points to buy the moon while you are playing out your scene. Now, 
When another player scene is happening, I can invoke the moon to affect their story. This creates thematic links between our possibly separate stories and slowly defines the vampire. I claim the moon, but you said it, and you claim the description, beastly, when I said it. Our story might be slowly becoming about lycanthropy. The rules are much more complex than Fiasco, although the game functions in the same mechanical genre of one-night collaborative storytelling. Highly recommended for players who aren't afraid of deeply personal, dark, and serious roleplay. Hour 11 on the forums. Okay, so back to his initial premise. Which was the crossing the lines. Right. Yeah. I feel... And I'm going to start with a little bit of a personal story. The last Gaming Con, this happened to me for the first time. Um, I had had um, actually a very tragic incident happen at work where I was the first responder to a very serious accident where a student and her mother were were hit by a car and the mother passed away. And, um, I was, that was like very, like a few days, maybe a week prior to the con. I I think it was like three days. It was really really, close. Yeah. yeah, It was, it was super close and I almost didn't go to the con and I was kind of a mess because I'd been there and saw the whole thing happen and been at the hospital when she passed and sat with the little girl all day. Um, and I was in a, a grim game and that was enough to give me pause. I almost... I almost didn't play the game because it's like, it's grim. It's kids. Yeah. It's scary situations. This might not be good for me. Got through the whole game, the end of the game, like we as kids had rescued another little girl and she'd suddenly, and like, it hadn't even occurred to me. Everything was great. Everything was fine. Like the literally the last three minutes of the game, the little girl realized that her mom was dead. Oh, and I sat there. Yeah. No, seriously. I sat there and I blinked and then I just started sobbing and I, it was totally not the GM's fault. Like, I think there's a lot of ownership that has to be taken on the player's part. Like, I had mm-hmm. known, and there was a red flag for me. Grim might not be a great idea, but I don't want to drop my slot. Yeah. Like, I was excited to play Grim for the first time. So, while there is definitely respect that has to be given on the GM's part, I feel that, and, and I kind of like this mechanic idea of, like, like, give, if, especially if you're doing, like, a campaign, like, these are places you can't go. Yeah. At a camp, and obviously at a con, it doesn't work so well because the game's prepped and then you show up. But I feel that a lot of the responsibility is on the, the player's part, To If there is something you really can't cross, to communicate that some way to the GM, even if they're not passing around little cards, or steering clear... I hate to have people, like, not not do things in their life because of things that they like in the baggage that we all carry for different things. But I think the thing that makes RPGs so great is that freedom, the freedom of the GM to create a world in a respectful way, obviously. Yeah. So I don't know. I may be too close to this right now. I think it, I think it actually transcends just GM player thing. I think it can be player versus player as well. If you're playing with a bunch of people with alignment dick, who go out of their way to, to, you know, to be offensive, and they can hit your triggers knowingly or even unknowingly, right. and then because they are alignment dick, they don't apologize, uh, or they're just socially inept. If you set these lines up ahead of time, everybody knows that, you know, hey, my mom just died of cancer. Can we not have that a topic at all? Right. Anywhere in the game, yeah. everybody. Can we all agree on that? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Thank you. You know that. 
it, yes, it's on the player's onus to, to know, all right, my mom just died of cancer. I really don't want to talk about it. I don't mm-hmm. want it in the game. And it's on them to know that and say it ahead of time. But it's on the rest of the players and the GM to respect that line. Right, right. And I think by bringing it up and, and at least letting everybody know that this might be a hot topic or hot button issue. And if and if another player brings it up, now they're just an asshole and everybody knows it. Right. And that's a, that's a different thing. If someone's doing it just to be a dick. Yeah. But, I mean, really the most the hardest thing about that Grim game is looking at the GM's face and that look of horror. Right. Like, absolute, like... Uh-oh. Oh shit! What is happening? Yeah. Oh my god! Like, like they. I mean, it's not on. Like, they weren't in any way right. trying. And I think no. that's one of the things you have to do at a game is you have to, you know, uh, assume good intent. Like, they aren't putting these things in this game to trigger you or to, or to upset you. And again, and again, unless you're playing with the dick. But you know, I talked to that GM after the game. Yeah. And, and, and he completely knew what happened and what he did. And the minute it happened, and he felt awful about oh, it. Oh, yeah, he did. And he was super apologetic. But again, it was like, you know, he wasn't in any way doing that to upset no, me. Not at all. And, but I, as a player, cannot always expect that every GM is going to know everything about my life and be and tailor their right. games for me. So it's part on, it's partially on me as a player to communicate that. And it's also entirely possible that you may not even realize that you would react that way right. well, until that happens. Say. Exactly. So you wouldn't even know to warn him. Right. No, cuz you you might have these, you know, the lines and the veils piece, but uh, I think on that episode we talked about it. I've played games before where they actually do the there's the touchstone in the center of the table that you can kind of touch when the topic gets to a place yeah, you know, yeah, or and your bathing suit covers, and you don't like it, right? And definitely, I think as a player, you need to know. Okay, I'm a I'm a person who yeah. has a lot of things happening right now, or in my past, right. where you know, and you may want to like say, and you, I mean, set up a code word with GM or, yeah. or use a system like this. I really like that the, the I system. I do too. Yeah, and it, I mean, it doesn't necessarily communicate it to other players, as Stork brought up, but that lets it go. I mean, I could never have anticipated, even that no. few days later, that a very large you know, Caucasian 40-year-old man pretending to be a little girl with a little voice like this would make me sob like that. Right. Like, wouldn't have thought of Just, it. You're describing it, so right. that would make me cry too, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, for different reasons, <laughs> but... <laughs> You know, it's like, I don't know. It, at least it's a way to, to attempt this. I mean, right. Uh, Stu's right, because a lot of people don't know what their triggers are, or they know what their triggers are, but they don't want to admit them to anybody. You know, right. It's like if you were an abused person, you know it's a deep, dark secret you don't want anyone to know, and you just grit your teeth and bear it, and then suddenly the game becomes about, a, you know, um, right. a nunnery mm-hmm. where everybody's being abused, and, and you're not having a fun time, and nobody, ever, nobody understands why you're not, why aren't you enjoying the game? Right. And because it's, it's deep-rooted baggage that you have. Right. So at least this is a, a way for the GM to try to mitigate some of those triggers. Right. And I, and I don't think most people go out there trying to offend their players. No, no, I don't think so at all. Uh, there might be a few out there that do, but I really think that most of the time it's just stupid blind luck or stubbornness or uh, it, it's all done in the name of fun and then in hindsight they realize it wasn't. Right. Things yeah. just get out of hand and get, go too far. Right. Yeah. And there are definitely those those people out there who are, you know, standing on the soapbox of none of this should ever be in any game. Right. But I mean, I think all these things when handled in a respectful way and, you know, and in a, can can be very great tools and parts of great powerful story story or motivation for characters. And there's, but there, there's also people on the other side who are railing against even the existence of having trigger warnings and things like that. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> you have those guys as well. It's so saying everything should always be 
open game, open or game right? And there's a lot of those people. I'm not going to sit around and walk on uh, eggshells while I play my character, okay? Those are also the people roll. that rail against cons having policies against sometimes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where it's Sexual like, what, harassment. Yeah, what's your problem like yeah. if you're, yeah. I think you've got to have a good bounce. If you're not, I mean, yeah, I can talk, beards. I think personally, <laughs> I think personally, I'd be self-conscious with them. I mean, uh, the mechanic what they're describing here is basically like very low-key communication to the GM. That I'd be comfortable yeah. with. Well, this, Something, this particular game he's talking about is a collaborative game with all everyone around the table. Right. So this is yeah. all out in the open. Everyone forever, is. Right. right. Yeah. Um, but and if you get someone with an inappropriate sense of humor, yeah. And say, I want to make I sure we don't talk about. You, one likes prison to think that they're probably not playing those <laughs> particular story games. I have a friend who actually wrote a, a quick start uh, 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 starter for that game in the back of the book to mm-hmm. the Annalise. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. But I think for the most part, people that gravitate towards those games are respectful of that, but that's not always necessarily true, and right. especially if you introduce that, You know, that and too. people get stubborn and they get a hair up their ass. It's like, don't tell me how to play my character. If I'm going to talk oh, sure. about prison sex, I'm going to do it, goddammit. Don't make me walk on eggshells every time I show up to your game, you know? And I could see people getting really, really upset about, you, you know. And I think that maybe that's why it should be between the player and the GM. It's like, yeah. listen, I have a real problem with prison sex. Can we just not steer the game that way anymore? And then the GM's like, fine. As long as the GM doesn't stand up. All right. Uh, apparently, Stork has a problem with prison sex, so we're not going to be doing. All my major plot lines are out of the window because Stork's a pussy. Right. Right? Yeah. As long as they don't protect his ass when he goes to prison. So, apparently, we can't. Uh, so, all of you guys' storylines have to change, okay? Is that is that fine, Stork? Is that okay? Oh. I, would, right? I would definitely suggest before your, your GM sits down and creates their whole world and their whole plot line for your, their Perhaps. campaigns, oh. like maybe when they first are like, hey, I'm starting this game. You can, as a player, be like, okay, these are, this is something, you know, abuse is something I don't want to yeah. talk about. I don't want to talk about, you know, this or that. And, you know, I'd be, I'd love to play in your game, but this is something that I won't have a fun time about. And, and uh, to be fair, this is to be, this is supposedly, I would use this for something that's very traumatic, like something that you had, or look, my mother just passed away from cancer, like last week. Mm-hmm. Can we just not talk about old people dying of cancer for a while? Sure. Yeah. You know, and a GM could be like, Fine, I'm okay with that. Thanks yeah. for letting me know. Yeah, you know, I, that's all it is. It's not a matter of like, right. here's a list of things I don't want addressed. Right? right, it's a thirty page tome of stuff you don't <laughs> that that may or may not offend you. Right, right. Uh, and, no, and that's not that's not what we're talking about. Right. And being aware of okay. My mother died this month. You know, next year we could probably go back it's to... It's probably going to be fine. Yeah. And, yeah. and knowing the difference between that sort of thing and, like, by now I'm probably fine with having, you know, some kid's mom die in a, die in a game. Like, I probably would not fall into a huddled, sobbing mass this time. Yeah. But, um, but you know, there are going to be some things that people are never going to be okay with. And communicating the difference absolutely. between those two things. Like, you know, someone who's been raped may absolutely never be okay with that being in the game. Especially if it's anything to do with a, a player character, um, which hopefully you're treating very delicately as it is, um, you know, versus, you know, my, you know, my mom or grandma passed away. Can we not have an old person die for a few weeks until yeah. I'm over it? So, and just being a GM and being cognizant of those things and being just understanding, just being human. Yeah. That's hard for some of us. Yes, I know. yes that's why they play role playing games. It's the only yep. place they. Yeah. And that's why you want to go to your GM in private, so they still look, can look like an asshole to the players and yes. feel powerful. When do you? Uh, it's probably situational, but uh, when there is something uh, in a game, and say it's not even a game like this, like Annalise or Flowers from Mara or, or Flower from Mara or something, um, 
if you feel like there is something uncomfortable going on at the table, do you say something? Do you just kind of try to keep it chill so that it flip. just goes? Yeah, do you take a flip? <laughs> no, that's a very good point. I yeah. I personally I would wonder. wait till after the game yeah. and I to take the GM aside and say, "Hey, listen, I'm having a problem with this. I, I you know I want to be cool, but." That was really bugging me. Or yeah. I mean, if you if you end up sobbing and crying, I think everyone's going to know that something happened. <laughs> True. And then later on, but just so yeah. everybody knows, I like yeah. walked out of the room. I didn't sit there at no, the no, table. No, 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 I'm not. Cool. <laughs> I'm using as an example because you yeah, yeah. 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 rocking back and forth. Yeah. But, but but I think the way to handle it is that you go aside later on. I don't think you literally okay. table flip in the middle of the game. I mean, s- some people might do that. Some people might even think that that's legitimate because they're upset. Yeah. But I don't think that's a good way to handle anything. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think... Yeah, You don't table flip in the real world when something goes doesn't go right. You just don't. I mean, if they're... It depends what it is. Yeah, I I think it depends on it. There's some super... I mean, if you get the real, real Asperger-y guys... Yeah. And and they start... And let's say you're playing in the military game that you were in. Uh, Exactly. That... I have Mm -hmm. no problem... I would not literally flip the table. But I have no problem saying, okay... This is fucked up, and so are you people. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, because it, you'd say, you know, Asperger-y guy, but sometimes people who are truly not good people and who are manipulative, that's how they play that game. Yeah. Okay. Because they will, it's uncomfortable and uh, oh, he may, inappropriate may, just to the point where you're like, am I imagining this? I'm really uncomfortable. He this may very cool. well have been doing it intentionally. Yeah. yeah. He probably was. Yeah. And I've known players that... If they find something bothers you, suddenly that becomes their game. Their thing, right. yeah, Absolutely. they keep poking you and poking you. Yeah, and yep. that's not fun for. No, and I think saying something in that situation is totally appropriate. And I mean, before you table flip, just say, "Look, this isn't cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm peace out. I'm leaving." Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I mean, and then I mean, if you're and in then a campaign, flip the table. and then flip the table, <laughs> or something, yeah, because that way you'll get drink your all feet over don't everything. Get smashed. Yeah, um, but I, I, I think if I was playing with. Just because I know our uh, my normal campaigning groups so well, and I know that they do have positive intention, I think that Absolutely. would be. I, I think I'd handle those situations more like Stork was saying, where it yeah. was like afterwards, just going to the gym and being like, "Hey, this isn't. You know, I'm not feeling yeah. comfortable with this." But you know, in a in there are situations where you should absolutely speak out right away. If it's a one shot, I just. I would just grin and bear it. You know it's going to be over in four or five hours or whatever. Or just leave. And you know yeah, that they're not leave. Or yeah. just leave. Yeah. yeah. But if you know they're not, true. we set it up as they know the GM's not going after you intentionally. It's right. something that's a hot button. To, yeah. You just and you know it'll be over soon, and you realize it was a big mistake. And whoops, I just yeah. won't do that again. Yeah. But you know, making a scene and storming out, I never. I think is you don't have to. I, no. You could, it you is could, perfectly you okay leave. to say, you know what, what's going on at this table is gross. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think that the fact that I'm the only one here that has a problem with it is frightening, yeah. and I'm going to leave. No, yeah. that's a very good point. There's You're no, right. there's nothing wrong with doing that. So I don't you know what, anything though? wrong with doing that. Okay, I, don't, I hate to bring out, because this is based on the, the all-girl episode. Yeah. As a woman, if I were to do that, like, do you know the shit that would be talked at Hell, that table? Yeah. It doesn't they, matter, though. Thank God we got rid of her. Huh? That, it doesn't matter, but it's true. It doesn't matter, but my gender would be immediately blamed. It's of course, because you're a bitch. Yeah, because she's yeah, a bitch and she can't handle yeah. it, and she's not cool, and yeah. it's never well, if, like if I were to do it, my masculinity would be instantly questioned. <laughs> That's true, right? Well, yeah, or you'd have by a bunch of retards sitting around a table <laughs> talking about whatever it is they're talking about <laughs> that they shouldn't be. That's yeah. a good point. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely, and it's just interesting because 
I mean, women in gaming already have kind of that stereotype. Like, we're the difficult ones. We're hard to, like, the campaigns, and, and very often. I mean, we're like, you know, you know or I, you're the girlfriend. I guarantee you there's people you listening know. to this going, well, guys don't have triggers. That's only a girl thing. Yeah. No, a guy won't, doesn't care about anything. I don't want to, what, what the fuck's wrong with these girls? Mm-hmm. I, well, I, I, you're right. Yeah. I guarantee you there's people listening to it right now thinking right. that. And I think there's, I mean, I think there's a, a basic difference in how women and men react to the situation. Like, as a woman, like, I would probably try and grin and bear it for a while and then not be able to. And not because of my gender, yeah. but... You know, I, I'm, I'm a very emotional person. I'd start crying yeah. or get angry or something like that and not be able to do it. Yeah. Um, well, like, Struck, you were saying you'd grin and bear it. And so I don't know if I'd be able to. Like, even if that was my intent to do that. Right. Well, I, I said, uh, to be fair, it's about a one-shot. Right. If this is an ongoing campaign, oh, no, 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 you got to no. nip it in the bud. No, absolutely, yeah. But I, d- I think it's interesting. It's, it's a very... Yeah, it is. Very gender-specific topic, I think, because often... Especially in campaigns and stuff, like there's the whole women in refrigerators trope in comics, where women are victimized. It's, it's a whole thing. Like it is. Women in comics are, are women characters in comics are often victimized to per, to move a story plot line along. For Lois male Lane characters. is hanging from the building, and it takes yeah. Superman yeah. to come and save her. Yeah, it's named after Green Lantern's. Um, I think significant that, other. I think that, it, that probably way predates comic books. No, absolutely. I mean, think about the old melodrama. But no, absolutely. But it was something that uh, Gail Simone came up with as a aspiring comic book writer when Green Lantern's significant other got murdered and stuffed into a refrigerator to further his plot line. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of became a thing where she made this list. Anyway, you can Google it if you're interested. Um, But I I don't know. I think it's kind of an interesting thing that because of that women are often seen as the players who are more likely to be triggered. And I don't know if it's... I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting... It might be society to blame. I think, I, mm-hmm. I think it has to do with the fact that there's there's assholes who are going to intentionally bring things up that might be triggers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think that that is probably where the, where the blame really lies. Right. Because, like, I mean, when you're talking about rape in games... Women. I've never... Been in a game, except maybe when I was fourteen, maybe, and I don't even think I was because I don't remember ever being in a game where there was any non-consensual sex mm-hmm. ever. Right in thirty plus years of gaming, mm-hmm. it's never happened. I'm impressed. Now I, I've also very, ra- I very rarely gamed with women until we started gaming again. Mm-hmm. It was all all guys, so maybe it's that certain element that's oh, there's a girl at the table. Hey, let's let's bring this up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that can come from a place of, like, I want something in this game to impact dramatically all the people at the table. Sure. In, like, a positive, yeah. I want it to be impactful way. Right. Not that I necessarily endorse using rape to use that, but, I mean, like, I use, because children are one of the things that I'm closest to, when I'm GMing, I often use children as, like, the p- ultimate, like heartstring puller to make the party panic like oh they're sacrificing yeah. children to the sea monster yeah. or whatever um and i feel like like gms do that with with rape and women a lot and it may also be like you were saying like the old melodramas now that more women are playing it's just being noticed more often uh, that, but, that would be my guess yeah i think it's more that because i mean if you really probably statistically looked at you know um 
plot lines for campaigns across the board, I would say that women are probably more victimized, just like, you know, Mario and Luigi saving Princess Peach. Sure. All the time. I think it's just a tradition. Kind of yeah, fun this might actually make a topic. topic. A whole other topic. Yeah, it could. Because I was sitting here thinking, like, a whole frat boy mentality. When you get a bunch of guys together, they just they feed off each other, and things right. just get bad fast. Well, and they all want to be the hero. Because we're guys, and we just do, like, we make bad decisions and do bad things, and then get stubborn and go <laughs> back down. Well, I think one of the things, too, well, the, there's mistakes. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Men act entirely differently around just men oh, yeah. than Absolutely. they do when when you introduce a woman into the situation. Absolutely, you can you can get twelve guys to get together and they will they will they will react with each other and interact famously until you introduce a woman into that scene. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly people are putting on fronts. Yeah, it's weird. Mm-hmm. I also. That's why I think all of those old games I played never had any weird shit uh-huh. like that happen. Or there was, but we didn't because we're guys. I don't we think I don't remember any of that stuff happening. Not I, I weird do. shit like that. I do, but we were young. You were, you also lived in a weird state. Yeah, well, that's it. That's gotta be it. You're I think right. It's, I think it's also really important, and I think a lot of um, very outspoken women who who tend to be very critical of of different types of gaming need to also see that it comes from a good side. Like, men, when they're playing games, they want to save women. They want to be the hero. It's not so much that they want to victimize them, but they, in a way, want to save them as well. So while there are the creeps out there who really want to see bad things happen to women and play that out through RPGs, I think the vast majority of of men who play along those storylines want to be the Mario saving Princess Peach. Like, Uh they don't necessarily want the bad things to happen. They want to be the hero saving. Yep. And I think that, again, it's about assuming positive intent and... yeah. I going with that's it. true. Yeah. They just want to jump over some fucking barrels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that got deep. That was a deep... And level yeah, up. Yeah, it was. Wow. I want to jump over some barrels for some level points, See, man. See, two girls show up, and look what happened. I know. I what, know. What you guys do to my show? I know. Uh, I know. We talked next... about RPGs, then some more RPGs, and then got deep shit got deep. going on. Got Is that what deep. they're saying in the chat room? No more RPGs. It's just deep now. I think uh, Stu's afraid to look at the Rick chat Rick number room. seven is hoping we'll get back to Are any of you playing or Ging at Strategicon... Are you playing or jamming? I'm not going to be there at all. A bunch. Mm-hmm. I was I was going to be there, and then we moved our our Memorial Day party. Yeah. Well, and it's your teardown and birthdays. Mm-hmm. Don't you both have family? Well, birthdays, birthdays are farther into the week. week. Okay, yeah. they're, they're kind of into the, <laughs> next of the month. timing. Yeah, yeah I, it's I timing. just don't think it's going to work this year, unfortunately. When does the first Vine vid air? That's Ooh, from, that's from Vine. Trey. That's exciting. What, what does that mean? It's, it's, don't worry. It's 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 the Vine. It's like the Instagram. Eight second movies. Yeah. Eight second movies. Mm-hmm. I might be wrong. It may not be eight. It might be six. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. There's a, there's an actual algorithm they worked that's, out. Like that's, how long that's not long enough was. for porn. No. No, it's not long enough for porn. <laughs> <laughs> they make they make gift porn. Eight seconds is a long time. <laughs> yeah. It repeats over and over yeah, and over again. <laughs> If if it hits a trigger, it could be. Okay, that's it. Okay. Uh, next email is from Aaron. Who wants to read Aaron's email? Okay. Uh, okay. Is I'll read Aaron. Gina's oh. going to do it. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, hello, douchebags. This is Aaron from Oakland, California. I've been listening to your <coughs> podcast for almost a year. Oh, congratulations. Yes. Uh, though I'm not on the forums because I have shit to do. With a capital S. Yeah. Shit to do. Yeah, shit to do. Uh, I was just listening to your most recent episode where you talk about organizing NPCs and thought I would share with you my very recent technique. 
My group just started a new fantasy campaign in my custom campaign setting, a project <coughs> I've been working on for about two years. I've taken a lot of advice from your show and wanted to create an entirely open-ended campaign. One tool I've, I've bleh, developed is having a stack of NPC slips on hand. I made a single page of these, about 12 slips per page, and each slip has a line for a name, role slash location, and six lines for characteristics. On my sheets, you'll <coughs> see physical descriptions, but always accents or voices. Notes such as basically Janine from Ghostbusters <laughs> or Gruff Grumpy, not totally British. Uh, after the game, I can take these and Rolodex them or add them to uh, Obsidian Portal. And the best part is I can print a whole page of these slips whenever I need them with the printer setting on draft. So all these NPCs aren't eating up all my printer ink. Yeah, I guess that's it. I'd love to tell you a gaming horror story, but I just don't have any I can think of. Oh. This is probably because I've got a solid group of creative people in my life and haven't had time to fish from the game store corkboard pool or similarly similar gamer Petri dishes. Until next time, keep up the helpful and entertaining show, Aaron. Hey, you know what? That's really... I actually like yeah. his idea about the accents of voices because how many times do you write the name of the NPC and maybe a stats and then you go... Fuck, what did he sound like? What right. They, you know, mm-hmm. then we come back yeah. like a month, two months, or in this case with L5R, like <laughs> four months, months later. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what that NPC was like. So that's really smart. That's a really Every good Every one idea. of them would talk like these. Um, <laughs> is it Traveler that has the has the 2,000 patrons? And It's a book that's just... There like, were 76 patrons. Or 790 or something like that. It's like there's like a whole, it's a whole, it's a whole book full of little NPCs. And it's oh, there was a, a th- I think it was a thousand and one characters. I think you're right. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's in the little books. That? Yeah. It was in the big books, too. Mongoose has one now, too. It's a, I oh, don't remember the number, and I don't remember, but it, it's, it's all patrons, you know. Yeah. Various, there's a stewardess. You see, in, in the original, in original Traveler, there was 76 patrons. Which was like a patron per page, and it had who the guy was, yep. and it gave you like five or six jobs he could yep. send you on. That's the, uh, this is and then similar, there, but this and is then there was another one called I think it was called a thousand and one, thousand and one characters or something like that, and it was yeah. nothing but NPCs, but it was just like that much of yeah, like just That's the stats and so a, a little bit of information. Yep, and it and it was categorized by like their job. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And you can literally flip through the book and go, oh, done. You know, here's a ship captain. His name is, uh, you come up with a name and it has some stats or whatever. Right. And those books are very good, but then later on when that NPC comes back, maybe you've earmarked it or whatever, you don't have the accent or anything. And that, I think that's key. I, I will have to remember that. Yeah. I think my my the, my new favorite thing that I want to have a character do is to talk very... <laughs> oh, I was going to say to talk slowly, slowly. <laughs> <laughs> because there's few things. Yeah, as oh. that drives me bananas. Aggravating. Like banana sandwich. <laughs> it's I love it. My sister always did that when I was growing up, and I was like, "What?" I know somebody Finish very well who speaks very slowly. I end up finishing their sentences or. <laughs> Really? Can't help it. You, you can't feel help bad it about it. I've too. already gone to the end of their thought train, and they're still in the middle of I it. I know where you like, are. I know where you are. I know where you're going. And I have to wait <laughs> until they finish, and it gets to be very irritating. Oh, I can see nothing being more irritating for you in a conversation. Yeah, I speak really fast anyway, and I'm like, 
I'm going to make sure like the big uh, the, the fucking emperor is going to do that. It's a trigger, man. Okay, I'm going to write you. I'm going to say, can we not have characters that speak slowly? I know, right? A trigger or a veil? Yeah. Which is that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for the, the email. Yeah. yeah. Uh, All right. Email from Tim. Uh, there's uh, there's one other thing oh, I wanted okay, to mention. Good. I put up a web store. Oh, it took me did. three weeks to find software package that this would work that I could install mm-hmm. and get it to work reliably. If you're in the continental United States and <laughs> would like to buy just His please second porn. Please only the continental United States so far. I got I, I it takes so long. Eventually I, I will have figure out shipping to Europe and, and other parts unknown. <laughs> if you want to buy a Boggard C D or a Wives C D you can buy them cool. from angryfolk.com slash store. Mm-hmm. I, um, the only reason I put those up is because that we have that inventory here right now. Right. Uh, you can also get, let me tell you about my character on there. It's mm-hmm. like four ninety five, I think, and you can get a download of that. There, I set it up to, to put the t-shirts that I'm going to have probably in three or four weeks. In a, a month or less. Mm-hmm. But the other reason I set it up is for the swag for the bands. Yay! Because we never, we don't have any place to sell that unless you go to a show. Yeah. So, Boggard shirts, Wives shirts, uh, 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 shot glasses, which we found. Um, <laughs> Where were they? Two cases. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and, and all that other stuff that we have that you cannot get unless you're actually at a show, we're going to have that on there as well. It's not on there now because all that inventory is out at Fairsight. Yeah. Once the inventory comes back here next weekend stuff will be going up on I will t- organize it and we'll I'll set a, a couple sizes of everything aside and how do they find that link angryfolk.com slash store that's pretty easy angryfolk.com slash store and all the stuff that gets produced will, will will be there all the physical things and all the digital downloads cool. ultimately will be there as well yep. so there you are and, and now we can go on to the next email alright Email from Tim the Loremaster. Cool. Hey there, douchebags. Listen to the latest episode last week when Stu was lamenting his general inability to keep track of NPCs, Mm -hmm. and I thought I'd offer (laughs) a potential solution. I've been using a combination of Google Drive and Evernote to track details on two campaigns I've been running, and although Google Drive allows me to present some really nice documents, Evernote has been much more useful. In Evernote, you can create a small text document and then assign it multiple tags of user-configurable types. Oh! While I do create an Evernote notebook for the campaign, then create a note for each major character, then I assign tags to that character based on their role in the campaign and their location. Fuck! The local blacksmith who is (laughs) on good terms with the party might be listed under the tags NBC, Townsville, and Friendly. While the big bad for the character for the game, who is in the next big city over, will be NPC, Cityopolis, and Enemy. When I need a character, I can search that notebook for any one of those tags. Searching for an NPC will give me both characters, while searching for Townsville only gives me the blacksmith and other location-based characters. I can even search for multiple tags, so I can get all the NPCs in Cityopolis, for instance. That solves your problem. That, that does. That yeah, amazingly does. cool. Yeah, and Evernote is. I think that's the one. I, is I, that the one Jib uses? No. Well, I think he does. He does sometimes, but well, he's, he's kind of a OneNote guy. One, okay. OneNote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use uh, Evernote at work. Actually, I never thought about using it for this. this is brilliant. I never thought it. I didn't realize it had tags. Yeah, that's cool. That would solve it. Yeah. Also, it's based on freemium model, meaning you can use most features at no cost. 
but there is a premium version you can subscribe to that gives you some more features, but nothing really necessary. I use only the free version and it works great, but I'm always online too, so that may change things for you a bit. I think this will likely give you a database, the database that you are looking for. Mm -hmm. If you are interested, you can click on the Find Hand-Tooled Referral link over here, which will be in the show notes, I guess. Right. I'm clicking and I'm clicking and Clicking, clicking and putting the button. And there's a smiley, smiley face emoticon mm -hmm. there, just mm -hmm. so you know. Hope that helps, and thanks for the great show. Tim the Loremaster. Tim, Thank you, Tim. That does help. Nice. Beautiful. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. I love gadgets. Little apps and things. I, I love it. I love when people That's point out cool. things that that we all have and have just overlooked. <laughs> it's like you know, if you just do this, you're like, oh. oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't know I had tags. <laughs> no, that's God is my witness. I didn't know Evernote had tags. <laughs> <laughs> is it back to me? Uh, uh, I think it is. Oh, dear. Yes, it Email is. Email from Luke from London. London. This is a long one. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought I set this up so I didn't have to... Oh, there's a longer one. That's right. Okay. Oh. <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> G'day, Jackas. But he's from London. Good day, Jackas. Uh, having recently listened to season 11 number 13 podcast, there have been a few discussions about gaming in Germany, Serbia, and the UK, etc., and how it is different to the US. So I have a question and a gaming horror story. Let's start with the questions. I won't bore you with my gaming pedigree. Suffice it to say that I've gamed since the 1980s and played and GM'd most games out there Having lived in a variety of places around the wor world due to my work and gamed in most of them, I have noticed differences in games played and playstyle and want to know your experiences. <laughs> Having lived and gamed in the last few years in Australia, my home country, Singapore, and the U.S., Houston, Chile, South Africa, and finally the U.K., my current residence is London, there are a few, there are a few differences. The following are just from my experiences and may not be representative. I have found that in Australia, South Africa, and the U.S., you are most are are the most alike. Gaming at someone's house with a group of friends and the odd con during the year. Yeah, uh, you meet a variety of people through friends and friends of friends who are looking for players slash GMs. I have found that a lot of South African players are scarily knowledgeable about guns and heavy weaponry and their effect on people. <laughs> that is Interesting. Like, like if you shoot through a bathroom door, you might actually kill your girlfriend? <laughs> Ouch. I didn't... I, just too soon? <laughs> Veil. Look Veil. at this. Look at what you did. Take responsibility. Yep. I love that lawyer. Um, that There's a talk show on that plays excerpts from that lawyer daily. Said That's the the soup. The truck. The I don't know. <laughs> uh, and they're affecting people. The games are your typical chips, as in potato crisps, <laughs> and soft drinks affair, as in soda affair, around the table. Although in South Africa the crisps were replaced with biltong, dried meat from a variety of animals. Mm, carrion. Mm. <laughs> Elephant jerky. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and most games involve a bri... Bri? Yes. A bri. As in Brian? As in Brian. A type of barbecue of some sort. Well, that sounds good. Mm. Yeah. I would actually... I'd prefer that to crisps. Chile, it seems, to be an expat thing to do. 
Or maybe it was because my Spanish was not, not good enough to find a local group. I mainly played with a group of Americans and Australians who all worked in the same industry. The group had people join and drop out as they left the country since it was expat since it was an expat since it was expat groups it was a lot of beer around the table and more of a chance for everyone to catch up with what was going on with each other the gaming was an excuse to get together the often the case here singapore <clears throat> was again mostly expats and local singaporeans uh, who had lived overseas and gamed and had moved back. Everyone met via the internet, and we gamed at someone's apartment. The game tended to be less individual PC-focused and more on the group as a whole. I guess it fits with the culture of the players as well. A lot of local players were heavily into wushu and MMO styles of play. Within the UK, I have found in my experience that gaming clubs are big. This is where a venue, generally a pub, has between five and ten tables of RPGs running at any one time. Whoa, that's a lot. Yeah. I want to game in a bar. Right? No, no you a, don't. Yes, actually. I do. No, yes, I, I do. I do, too. <laughs> one, of my, um, one of my friends on Twitter owns a gaming bar on the East Coast. And she's oh, a really? cosplayer. Like, I feel nice. like she's my soulmate. Yeah? Like, she has a bar. Where they do tabletop gaming. That's pretty awesome. And she cosplays. If I wasn't married already and totally heterosexual. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. the most amazing person ever. Sorry, continue. But they exist. That's amazing. It's like, <coughs> you know, the land of unicorns somewhere. Mm-hmm. But they exist. That's so, a club cool. hires out the top floor of a pub and has multiple games running on a particular night. Oh, so, you have between yep. 30 to 50 gamers in an enclosed area, add cheap alcohol... And watch what happens. <laughs> Wonderfulness. <laughs> also, drinking whilst gaming is big here. As in, no one in central London drives, so you can get home uh, via the tube, so everyone drinks during the game. The one time I went to London, I, sat, I had a terrible jet lag, so I was like wide awake at 3 o'clock in the morning. I went to bed at like 9 or 10, and then at 3 o'clock, blink, I was awake and oh, not no. tired. So I'm like, I'm going to go wander around the streets of London. So I put on my jacket because it was February. It was very cold, and I walked out and I went. And the King, we were right across the street from the King's Cross train station, and I walked there. And it wasn't open yet, but the newsstand was. So I bought a pack of cigarettes and I sat out there and and I watched all the drunks stumble home. It was awesome. Oh, <laughs> all these, people, these boyfriends and girlfriends fighting and screaming at each other and going the opposite <laughs> ways and coming back and yelling some more and then run that. Then this one runs back over here. <laughs> I loved it. It was awesome. We also have a rule that the GM does not pay for drinks. I'm moving to London. Right. So every time you GM and someone gets up to go to the bar, they bring back hard liquor. You can see where this ends up. I was running a Cthulhu game, and one of the players had fled fed me five martinis before the end of the first encounter. Whoa. Yeah. The... The, re- the remainder of the night was a blur, and the players told me they had a great time. I'm still dealing with the in-game consequences of that game, but I will say that Drunk Cthulhu is not a good idea, as there is way too much giggling and mispronunciation and changing of names. <laughs> giggling in Cthulhu. Still giggling in Cthulhu! No, Hotep. You said Hotep. Not for Um... 
I have since organized a regular gaming group in London, which meets around at my house. Still the same amount of drinking. We just have to mix the drinks now. <clears throat> anyway, so do you think that the RPG hobby varies much around the world, or is it fairly much the same everywhere? Do you know if the hobby exists in places like China, India, or Russia? <clears throat> if so, is it different? Well, I have no idea. Uh, we have a friend from Serbia, which isn't technically Russia anymore, is it? No, it was so, never Russia. Never Russia, but I mean that's as far as I know from like our fans on the forum. We have a listener in India. I know that. Okay, mm-hmm. I saw that on the thing. Um, I don't know. And I, uh, other than visiting places and gaming them, I I cannot speak. I don't know with any sense of authority on this. So you know what? I feel like this is something that d- deserves some scientific exploration. So perhaps we should start like a GoFundMe. Let's send the happy yeah. jackers yeah. around the world. <laughs> I don't want to go to. I don't want to go to India. No, I would totally go to India. I do. I, 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 I don't I think don't, I'd actually want to mm, game if I was in there's India. There's a lot of places things. I want to go. Let's see if they game in Ireland. Okay. I wonder if they do. <laughs> I'm mm. sure. We should go, go there and find sure. out. Let's no do idea. a GoFundMe and mm. go to Ireland because we speak the language. Yes. And drink the beer. Yeah. <laughs> and the they whiskey. They have beer? Yes. And whiskey? Yeah. In Ireland? I know. Shocking. You sure? I could check. We may have to go back over there to check. All right. Just, Just to, to check sure. on that, too, while we're there. All right. We're totally kidding, And, by the and way. As, far as, as far as here, what you describe as American gaming is pretty much how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the occasional con, and yep. you meet at someone's house. And sit around the table, and everybody bring, everybody brings snacks and beer. And mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No built long though. We don't have built long. Some, pe- some people bring jerky. That's about as close as we get. Yes. And like, occasionally we get the barbecued ribs from the Chinese. Yeah. Restaurant down the Chips street. and like Cheetos and lots of those show up. Mm, junk food. Junk food. Yes. Saki, if we're playing out there. Saki bomb. Oh, that was a bad <laughs> idea. Such a terrible idea. Oh, Especially at ten thirty in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> that Woo. is going on our Instagram because I still have that video on my phone. Oh, there you go. Saki bomb. <laughs> uh, all right. A gaming horror story. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. This is a horror story involving four people: two PCs, some rope, and a set of handcuffs. <laughs> the two protagonists. <laughs> The two protagonists were a couple. We shall call them Cindy and Peter. <laughs> Peter. They were the, the... Wait, is that... Cindy. The, the, oh, you're using Brady Bunch names. Okay. Oh. Cindy and Peter were part of a regular gaming group. And, and who lived, lived together in the gaming house. In the, the gaming house. Gaming house. <laughs> you know the share house, which is full of gamers living together and gaming multiple times per week. Thank God... I never, I have never lived in one. At the time, we were playing Vampire the Masquerade. So one afternoon, one of the players in the group, Emma... Okay, now, it should be Florence. Really, should have been, yeah. Or Marsha. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, who lived in the gaming house with Cindy and Peter. And I were walking up the front stairs to the gaming house when we heard screaming yelling and hitting coming from inside the house. We opened the front door, and to the horror that greeted us was Cindy and Peter role-playing an S&M scene in the front room as my vampire PC and Emma's vampire PC. Whoa, okay, whoa, whoa, okay, whoa. First off, yeah, they're kind of crossing a line Well, there. they're they're playing, okay, Cindy and Peter are actually playing Emma 
they're actually playing the other people's PCs in yeah. an You shouldn't play other people's PCs. In their real life That's inappropriate. S&M game. Trigger. Trigger. Hello. Hello. I'm really uncomfortable with this. Yeah. The one thing the player has control of in the game is their PC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, you're, you were stealing you're, the you're player you're agency. Stealing agency, exactly. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> It gets, it gets worse. Story to read. <laughs> I'm reading so ahead. Completely <laughs> in, uninvolved, though. <laughs> oh my God. Our PC names were being used. Oh, it's just fucking wrong. They're screaming out their names. And oh. events from the last game were being role played out in front of us in a slightly different what? way than they occurred in game. I don't even want to know what this means from a psychological point of view, but what they th- of or what they thought of us. We quickly closed the door, walked back down the stairs, looked at each other with horror, and then proceeded to walk back up the stairs loudly and talking as loudly as we could to warn Cindy and Peter that we were coming. (laughs) Maybe they were, too. Uh, We heard scurrying and people being untied, much swearing and gathering of clothes, as we took a long time to get the key in the front door. By the time we opened the front door, the room was empty. Thank, insert deity of choice in our left <laughs> Um wow what we saw was never discussed with the protagonists <laughs> I am still trying to bleach <laughs> the memories out of my brain <laughs> at the next gaming session both of the aforementioned PCs committed suicide <laughs> <laughs> much to the surprise of the group and the GM Sepical. but the horror of what we had seen <laughs> and heard horror. had scarred oh, me for horror. life the name of the PC still sends shiver, a shiver down my spine. Aww. Normally, this would have been enough for me to quit the group. But I was young, stupid, and needed the game. <laughs> <laughs> the group fell apart after two months. Later, anyway, due to a whole lot of drama. Anyway, More thank- drama than that. Yeah. You don't play other people's PCs. No. Crossing the line, man. Yep. Anyway, thanks for a brilliant podcast. Or create slash fic that lives from them. <laughs> they shouldn't do that either. No. Hmm. Uh, I listen to you guys on my commute via the tube each day, and as a result of listening, I have become a yes and GM. Drink! Luke hey. from London. P.S. Why do you always end up GMing the games you love to play? Uh, Ooh, there's a topic. Mm-hmm. That's a great topic, I remember. Yeah, let's see here. Um, I don't think I have anything quite that awkward. Uh, <laughs> don't try and top that. That that's just the pinnacle of super awkward. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Just wow. We had a. Um, that's a kind of role play. I was young and I needed the game. It's <laughs> a T-shirt right there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. All right, and now a gaming awesome story to okay. sort of cleanse our palate. And this is from Michael. Who's reading this? It's my turn. Okay, All right. Cool. Uh, this I'm, one's long. I'm writing to share with you the, the f- tale of my current game, which is going so exceedingly Excuse well. Wow, I felt that the need like to a walrus. Sh- <laughs> stinks. Uh, I felt the need to share with you as an example of how everything can go right. Much of the success is due to a fantastic group of players, but some of it I can cr- uh, can credit to advice from both Fear the Boot and your own podcast. Woo-hoo. This game is a steampunk airship pirate game set in the world of floating continents using the Abney Parks Airship Pirates RPG rule set with an entirely different setting. I first pitched the idea of the game last fall near the end of the previous campaign, and everyone seemed immediately excited for it based on the concept alone. Apparently, everyone loved both steampunk and pirates, so putting the two together was a dream come true. 
The interesting part, though, was that everyone was willing to go along with a few experimentations with regards to game setup. (laughs) Hopefully it didn't involve handcuffs and using other people's players. I think this is because they trusted me as a GM to create a fun game, even if it was different from what they were used to. I told them that I wanted to do this in a very role-play intensive game focused on character development and interaction. To that end, I would be creating the characters with some room left for customization, such that they all had... Oh, such as they all had, colon, an interesting background to draw upon, deep personalities to role-play, meaningful connections with the other party members, and goals and loyalties to keep them moving. I approached this much like setting up a convention game with pre-made characters, although I left them about 80% finished, i.e. with a handful of skill points left unassigned. So the players had could take them in whatever direction they wanted to go. This was experiment one. By the end of the previous game, I had come up with at least a loose concept for each member of the pirate ship crew and handed out full-color Victorian-area-looking invitations to oh, the wow. next game to each of my players individualized with assigned character names. Very nice. Yeah. The Pirate Queen, Helene, 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 Helene. Helene of the Iron Rose, Cedric Main, first mate of the Iron Rose, uh, Edward, engineer of a different steam engine, and Captain Robar Jules Polandrina. Polandina? Polandina. Polandina. Black Jack Jezebel, the mistress of the game. Young Barbara, favored among the crew. The seed was now planted, and the excitement grew from these. Experiment two was the marketing phase. As college students, we had a few weeks off between semesters. I used that time to develop the characters and world for the game, as well as to keep my players interested in thinking about the game and making daily posts on Facebook group, each one revealing little tidbits of information. For the first week, I provided only a quick glimpse of the characters personally, described uh, by a primary motivator, a major vice, and a theme song. The vices were, of course, uh, distributed among the classic seven deadly sins, using all but lust. It's not that kind of (laughs) role-playing. Yeah, he should see our letter preceded this. The primary motivator described which drives the character, the underlying goals that shape the character's worldview. This concept comes from one of my favorite RPG resources, Ash's Guide to RPG Personality and Background, which I've never heard of. Neither have I. This is a fantastic way to make detailed and interesting characters, and was the first thing I used to create the pirate crew. The most powerful element, though, was the music. My own inspiration for the game initially came from the album Dramatis Persona by the Clockwork Dolls. So I used some of the tracks as actual character backgrounds and shared them, along with some other genre-appropriate music with the players to create the feel of the characters and the game. Ever so slowly, I revealed more information, including excerpts from the history on the game world and more personality and background details of each character, as outlined by Ash. Eventually, back in school and counting down the days until game time, I began posting philosophical quotations and asking probing questions like, what are you hiding and what are you seeking? All of this kept interest in the game going over the break and made everyone eager and excited to finally start playing. In fact, they were actually more excited to get into character, interact, than they, than to get into combat and loot treasure. It's kind of a Traveler-esque. A traveler does that with all of the mishaps and sort of uh, oh, yeah. the stuff that happens to you as you're, as you're getting old. The third <laughs> experiment was the first season, or session. Devoted almost entirely to character creation, save for a short combat at the end to introduce the mechanics. Normally this would involve searching through rules and picking out skills and feats and maybe deciding on a character's reasons for risking life and limb for gold. 
Not here. Here, the characters were already mostly in place, so the rules aspect of character building was kept quite short. But first, we had to conduct the interviews. Before they could even look at the mechanical stats of their characters, I gave everyone two entirely different character sheets. The one from Ash's Guide, partially filled in, and the one from Character Wheels, described by Apathy Games' Jeff Carlson, which I also don't know about. Uh, he has a link here. The, mm-hmm. Another tool for tracking all the information about a character's stats don't cover, such as background and relationships. I then conducted an interview with all the characters, acting as a journalist for a local newspaper, getting the scoop on these famous pirates, using leading questions to add details to their past. This is something I took from Chad from Fear the Boot and his Lucid RPG, which creates characters entirely from leading questions. I put a lot of the players on the spot, as many were not used to creating details like that on the fly, but it was incredibly fun to do, made for some really interesting stories, and gave the players a little insight on how GMing works. That is, flying the USS Make Shit Up song by Voltaire. <laughs> Link, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we also agreed to record the session just using a laptop running Audacity, college students, remember? And this seemed to help keep people a little more conscious of interrupting each other, with the bonus of being able to listen to it all again later for a good laugh. As one final twist, I passed a note to each player with a set of three final leading questions. The deep, dark secrets that no one wants to share, and will get spilled eventually like a Spanish soap opera. We've been playing once a week ever since, still recording away, and this has been by far the best game I've ever run. Everyone gets so into character. A few of the players have started the character blogs to explore their backgrounds more and have done out-of-session in-character chats with each other to role-play their character's first meeting. It's absolutely incredible, especially now that some of the secrets have leaked out and much of the game has turned into a very dark direction. Every session, I try to put them in a situation that questions their actions and draws attention to something going on between some of the characters. They have some serious relationship issues either by presenting an NPC that might know something about them or through an obstacle that represents one of their greatest fears. Much of our sessions are composed of conversation taking place in the onboard tavern. Yes, there's a pub on the ship. One of its specialties is the undrinkable ale in honor of you guys. And we've gone two weeks in a row without a single fight or hardly touching the dice at all. Not inspired by us. As a GM who plays <laughs> with an interesting story that comes out of the collaboration, I couldn't be happier with the results. I hope others out there can be inspired by my success, realizing that anything is possible and make the game of their dreams come true. Yes, much of it relies on having the right group of players, but if you can just tap into what you have and slowly draw them out, draw out of them excitement and investment in the game, any experience will come become an awesome experience. Much of what I've done here has been addressed in past episodes of yours, and please feel free to reignite any topic of discussion relating or creating an awesome game experience or interesting gaming experiments you've tried with successes or failure. For any interested, much of the content is not yet formatted for public consumption, but I do plan on compiling it and making it available at the end of the game, <coughs> corresponding with the school semester. I can write another email addressing that when the time comes. Keep having as much fun as possible. Michael, the Bateman, the Batman of Notre Dame. Bateman? Bateman. I don't know. Fail. Fail. Bateman. <laughs> I just got through. You know, go away. Well, 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 I screwed up on the last Bateman. 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 That has a secondary connotation there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go away, Bate. <laughs> don't come in. Here. Why are you taking such long showers? 
bait man. <laughs> I envy people who have enough time to do this. Look what he's doing. With this. Right. That's oh, amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it, and it's involving multimedia. And yeah. I mean, who is it on the forums that makes like these mini movie trailers for his games? Which I always thought. DT Pints. Is it DT? Wow. Uh, they, they, he makes these involved trailers involving snippets of other movies and things and the music, yep. soundtracks, and voiceovers. And it's really complicated. And, and it's kind of his whole preamble into the games. It it's his it idiom. Up. It is. And it, it's it's the media that gets him excited. This guy uses soundtracks <coughs> and things, too. But uh, I agree with you, too. I It's all we can do to actually show up and yeah. play the game, let alone get <laughs> all of this stuff together like this. That's amazing, though. I agree. All right. I don't have anything else. That's it. 95 minutes in. Was there any chat stuffy? Uh, Rick number seven. Gnome Stew has a book called Masks. 1,000 memorable Ah, NPCs. ah. Same guys that did Odyssey and never unprepared. Masks I've heard of. Oh, that's right. Cool. And there you go. There you go. That's a wrap. Last week of fair. Last week of fair. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow. Yep. And then next weekend on Sunday, I get to sleep in a little bit yeah. for the first time in, in two and a half months. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be a very happy day. You're not going to sleep in. You're going to sleep maybe another half hour. You know what? A, a half hour. Up. A half hour. I can pee and then go back to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so pee in the bed. Absolutely. And the most important thing will be an air conditioning. Yes. Right? Oh. <laughs> Cascading down on your semi-naked body. <laughs> okay, trigger, no more, trigger. No more. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say slash pick. Stork Feed him. Pick. What? <laughs> Ew. So, okay. Bring so up we, that thing. It's a trigger for you. That's, <laughs> right. That's all I can think of. Ugh. We need to end this episode. <laughs> yeah. Rewind. Right. Edit. Thank you for joining us. For Oh, wait. Yeah, I thought he hit the space bar. Well, listeners of Happy Jacks on PG Podcast Weekend. Thank you for joining us for Season 12, Episode 3 of Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Gina. This is Stork. And I'm still Kimmy. And we'd like to thank uh, Lakeside Games for uh, sponsoring this episode. Yay! Yay. Prowlers and Paragons. Go to DriveThruRPG. You can find it there. And uh, thank you. And uh, I think that's it. And good night. Good night. Thank you for listening, and we'll leave you with a song. At his vice stood a filing His hammer laid by But his forge still aglow When to him a buxom young damsel Came smiling And asked if to work at her forge he would go With a jingle bang jingle bang jingle bang jingle With a jingle bang jingle bang jingle hi-ho I will, said the smith 
path and they went off together Along to the young damsel's forge they did go They stripped to go to, twas hot work in hot weather She kindled his fire and soon made him blow With a jingle bang, jingle bang, jingle bang, jingle With a jingle bang, jingle bang, jingle hi-ho Her husband, she said, no good work could afford her His strength and his tools were worn out long ago Bum, 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 bum,